Would you stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of Acts chapter number 4. The book of Acts chapter number 4 and we're going to read verse 12 to get us started this morning. The word of the Lord says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Father, I thank you one more time for your incredible, your infallible, your life-altering and life-changing, miracle-working word. Once again, I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would rest upon the message and upon the messenger, Lord, today. God, give us ears to hear your word today. And God, may we put in practice what we receive All of this we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, we are presently in a series I'm calling The Core. Say The Core. Now, The Core, that's the part of something that is central to his existence or character. The part of something that is central to its existence or character. Character. Now, for the past two weeks, we talked about our core values, and there are seven of them. Now, you need to understand that our core values are who we are. And by the way, if you were not here the last couple of Sundays or you missed one of the two, you can go on our website and listen, and I challenge and encourage you to do so. And if you will, you will hear my heart in these messages. Well, today we're going to begin talking about our core doctrines. Now, our core doctrines are what we believe. How many understand it's important to know what we believe? And so we want you to know what we believe here at the Grace Place. So for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about our core doctrines or what we believe. Now, understand we're not going to cover all of our beliefs. There are many, many more things that we believe. In fact, we, what do we believe? Well, we just believe what the Word of the Lord says. Amen. We believe the word from cover to cover. We're not going to be able to cover all of our beliefs, all of our doctrines, but just the main ones. Something else I want you to understand, and that is at the Grace Place, you don't have to dot your I's and cross your T's exactly the same way that I do or exactly the way the leadership of this church does in order to be a part of us. If you can agree on the major doctrines, say the major doctrines, If we can agree on the major doctrines, then we're not going to worry so much about the minor ones. Here's what I I know, and that is is I I would rather unite on major things than divide on minor things. And I'm afraid the church is so divided today, and there's so much division in the church, and so often, so often it is on little bitty nitpicky things, and sometimes it's just verbiage, and sometimes we're believing and saying the same things. We're just using different words and not understanding each other. So I would rather unite on major things than divide on minor things. Well, today's teaching is a major one. It is a major one because today we're going to talk about the doctrine of salvation. How many know you better have the doctrine of salvation right? Amen. Now, you can be a little bit off on your your rapture doctrine, you know, uh, know, and you'll probably be okay. Uh, you know, and I, and I have my beliefs there, and our church has our beliefs there, and I think that it is important. But, but listen, listen, you better have the doctrine of salvation. You better have it right, amen? Because nothing else outside of that, nothing else matters to the point uh, that the doctrine of salvation uh, does. So, so I'm going to share today about what we believe about salvation. There's four things I want to talk about this morning as they relate to the subject 
of salvation. First thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the sin. Let's talk about the sin. You see, sin, of course, is the reason why salvation is necessary, right? It's because of sin. If it weren't for sin, there would be no need for salvation. Man didn't need salvation until he chose to sin. Now, let me point out three things about sin. Three things about sin. First of all, I would suggest that sin is inherited. Sin is inherited. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul writes, and he says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. When did sin enter the world? When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. He goes on to write and say, Adam's sin brought death. So death spread. It what? So death spread to everyone. To who? To everyone, for everyone sinned. Everyone sinned. You see, because of Adam's conscious choice to sin, to disobey God, because of that, rebellion entered his heart. And what came into Adam's heart was passed down to his children and to his grandchildren and to his great-grandchildren and on down the line. See, see, every person inherits tendencies from their father. Do you have any tendencies of your father? Sure you do. Everyone, everyone inherits tendencies from their father. The DNA that is in them that came from their father places them on a certain path. It places them on a certain direction. It gives them a certain bend toward certain things. How many still with me this morning? See, Adam's sin created in him a spirit, a spirit of rebellion against God. And that DNA, that tendency, that desire to sin has been passed down from Adam to every single person. First thing I want to talk about about sin is sin is inherited. Second thing, not only is sin inherited, but sin is infectious. Sin is infectious. Psalm 53, verse 1 through 3 The Bible says man is corrupt and his actions are evil. Not one of them does good. How many does good? Not one of them does good. He goes on to say all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. And then in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes, and Paul says here, he writes, and he says, when you follow the doctrines of, or excuse me, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your what? Sinful what? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he lists them. He says sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. See, the problem, the problem with sin is it's infectious. The problem with sin is it cannot be contained. It isn't isolated to one area. No, sin grows and, and sin spreads and sin infects every part of a person's life. Sin is a cancer. Sin is a cancer. Oh, it starts so, so small, so seemingly insignificant, but oh, if left untreated, it can become so infectious that it spreads and finally totally consumes the entire person. 
Notice the third thing about sin. That is, sin is inclusive. Sin is inclusive. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 6, the Bible says that Eve was convinced, so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some of it to Adam. Say, she gave some of it to Adam. Yeah, Eve was convinced, so she took some of the fruit and she ate of it, but then, say then, then she gave some of it to Adam, her husband, and he ate it too. See, here's what you need to understand, and that is sin isn't selfish. Sin isn't selfish. It's inclusive. It it invites everyone to participate. See, the truth of the matter is you cannot sin alone. Did you know that? It is impossible. You cannot sin alone. Sin always includes others. Oh, people think, you know, they think, I I can do this thing and and it, it will affect no one but me. Me and only me will be affected by my sin. Wrong. Sin is inclusive. Our sin affects everyone we are associated with. Our every action affects somebody. Let me just suggest this this morning. Ask the child of the, of the crackhead if their, if their life has been affected by their parents' sin. Ask the spouse if their life has been altered by the affair of their mate. Ask the parents of a prodigal child, have you been affected by the waywardness of your kid? Sin is inclusive. Sin takes others down with it. Well, let's move on to point two today. The second thing I want to talk about today, and that is I want to talk about the separation. The separation. Sin causes separation. Let me suggest three areas of separation. Three areas of separation. First of all, I would suggest that sin severs relationships. Sin severs relationships. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says, God says your sins have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Are you hearing the word of the Lord this morning? Sin severs relationships. Hear me this morning. You cannot practice habitual sin and have a relationship with God. I'm going to say it again this morning because there's very few pulpits where you will hear this today. But I'm telling you this morning, you cannot practice habitual sin and have a relationship with God. And if you are practicing a habitual sin in your life and you think that you're walking with God and you think you're fellowshipping with God and you think that you have a relationship with God, I would tell you this morning that you are only fooling yourself. Am I saying we will ever totally conquer sin? Am I saying that someone cannot wrestle with sin over and over and over again and walk with God? I'm not saying that. I'm telling you this morning, though, that if you you just ignore your sin and you live in habitual sin and you practice habitual sin, amen, it will sever, it will sever your relationship with God. Adam and Eve lost their relationship with God when they sinned. And so will you, and so will I. Unless we repent. We're going to talk about that in point four, so hang on with me this morning. Not only will sin sever our relationship with God, but sin also severs human relationships. Are you aware of that this morning? Sin severs human relationships. Think of all the divorces that the sin of adultery has caused. 
Think of all the friendships that have been severed through sins like gossip or jealousy or lying. Think of business partnerships that have been severed because of the sins of stealing or dishonesty or cheating. Not only does sin sever relationships, but I would also suggest that sin severs reputations. It severs reputations. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 and 33, the Bible says, He who commits adultery destroys himself. He will be wounded and he will be disgraced, and his shame will never be erased. Proverbs 14 and 34 says, Sin is a disgrace to any Hear me this morning, hear me this morning. It's not, it's not that sin can't be forgiven. The problem is it's never forgotten. There's always an asterisk after your name. There's always that blemish on your once spotless record. And hear me this morning, it's not God. It's not God that holds on to your sin. Listen, through your repentance, he forgives and he forgets. No, 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 it's man that holds on to your failure. It's man who never looks at you quite the same way anymore. Sin severs reputations. No, it's the third thing that sin severs. Sin severs resources. Resources. Proverbs 13 and 22, the Bible says, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinners, the sinners' wealth will pass to the godly. Sin severs resources. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8 through 10 says, To stay away from the adulteress, don't go near to her door. If you do, you will lose your honor, and strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Oh, how many people have allowed sin to rob them of their hard-earned resources? Oh, sins like gambling addictions or alcohol abuse or drug addictions. Oh, listen, wealthy people have been stripped of their wealth and their kids and their grandkids have been robbed of their financial inheritance because of these and other addictions. Sin can bring you down. Sin can begin with you, oh, at the highest of heights and it can end with you at the lowest of lows. Today we're talking about salvation. We're talking about the doctrine of salvation. Listen, before we can be saved, we must first admit that we are lost. And I would tell you this morning on our own and without the help of God, all of us are lost. We're going to talk more about that in point four this morning. All right, enough about the sin, enough about the separation. Let's go to point number three today, and that is the Savior, the Savior. Listen, listen to me. The only hope for sinners is a Savior. And thank God we have one, and his name is Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. Say it again this morning. Say it one more time. I want to remind us today of four things about Jesus, our Savior. First of all, I want to suggest that he was sent. He was sent. John 3.16 said that God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever would believe upon him would not have to perish but could enjoy eternal life. See, the plan of salvation was born in the heart of God the Father. 
See, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth to become our Savior because he was sent here by God the Father. Listen to me this morning. When you think about your salvation, and so often when we think about salvation, we think only about Jesus. We think only about his blood. We think only about about the cross. But hear me this morning. When you think about salvation, don't forget about the part that God the Father played in bringing it about. He initiated the plan. He invented the plan. He invoked the plan. Oh, listen to me this morning. Can you even imagine? Can even can you even imagine the emotions that that God the Father must have encountered when he when he counted the cost of our salvation, oh, which was the blood of his very own son? I'm not sure I would have been willing to pay such an incredible high price. But God so loved the world that he gave we think about salvation, we think about our Savior, we need to realize and understand and remind ourselves, he was sent. He came because he was sent. I mean, salvation was born in the heart of the Heavenly Father, and the Heavenly Father loved us enough. He sent his very, very best. Not only was our Savior sent, but I would suggest, number two, we need to remember that he was sinless. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned. Say, he never sinned. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What a powerful, powerful scripture. Listen, friend, Jesus didn't die on the cross because of his sin. Jesus died on the cross because of our sin. He was sinless. He was sinless. And only because Jesus was sinless, only because of this fact, could he be qualified to be our Savior. Which leads us to our third sub-point, and that is he was our substitute. He was our substitute. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, The Lord laid on him, Jesus Christ, the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. I don't know how it was done, but God somehow gathered up every sin that mankind would ever commit. All past, present, and future sin of man. List them out. List them out. Murder, drunkenness, adultery, incest, rape, lying, cheating, stealing, jealousy, pride, greed, sexual perversion, envy, hatred, prejudice, gluttony, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And God gathered every single sin of man, every sin man would ever commit. And somehow, somehow, miraculously, supernaturally, God gathered up every sin. Oh, he gathered up your sin and he gathered up my sin and he gathered up all sin. And God took all of his sins and he placed them on his son Jesus on the cross. And then God poured out his wrath and his punishment and the punishment that sin is due upon his very own perfect and sinless son Jesus. On the cross Jesus became our substitute. He took our place. He experienced God's wrath for our sin. Hear me this morning, you and I who are saved, we don't have to experience the wrath of God 
We don't have to be punished for our sins. Why? Because Jesus was punished for us. Do you understand this morning? Jesus took our punishment. God took our sin and put it upon his son and poured out his wrath for our sin on his son. So we don't have to be punished for our sin because Jesus has already been punished for our sin. This is called grace. Notice the fourth thing about the Savior, and that is he was successful. Romans 1 and 16, uh, Paul writes and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why, Paul? Because it is the power of God unto salvation, saving everyone who believes. Verse 17, this is how God makes us right in his sight. See, we can never get right with God on our own. Only through the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross can we be made right with God. We're never made right with God for what we do. We're made right with God because of what Jesus did for us. 1 Corinthians 15 and 22 says everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And Hebrews 7 and 25 says he is able to save everyone who comes to God through him. Jesus, the Son of God, became Jesus, the Son of Man. He wasn't half man and half God. He was fully God and he was fully man. Oh, he was born of a virgin named Mary. He walked in the shoes of man. He experienced every experience that man would know. He was tempted with every temptation that man would be tempted with. And yet he never yielded even one time. He was sinless. Ah, He was perfect. Oh, when they nailed him to the cross, he wasn't nailed to the cross for his sin. He was nailed to the cross for hours and on the cross God poured out every single sin of man upon Jesus and then God the Father poured out his wrath upon Jesus his son for man's sin but the Bible says three days later after Jesus died that God miraculously resurrected him from the dead oh can we give some praise in this house for to our wonderful Savior oh can you give him some praise he's worthy he's deserving oh thank God for the Savior listen we're in need of a Savior but Jesus is is our Savior. Hallelujah. All right, we've looked at the sin. We've looked at the separation. We've looked at the Savior. Quickly, let's look at the saints. See, salvation is a joint effort. Salvation is a joint effort. Now, I want to suggest three things that we must do in order to be saved, in order for us to become saints. How does a sinner become a saint? Let me give you three Requirements. First of all, they must recognize, we must recognize our helplessness. Before we can be saved, we must recognize our helplessness. And, and Romans 3 and 23 says we're helpless. Romans 3 and 23 says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. See, no one can meet God's requirements for salvation. Listen, even the most righteous is unrighteous compared to God's standard of righteousness. Colossians 3 and 22 says we are all prisoners of sin. 
in order for us to be saved, in order for a sinner to become a saint, we must recognize our utter helplessness on our own. Listen, we cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We cannot be good enough. We cannot do enough good deeds. We cannot cross all the T's and dot all the I's. We cannot get there on our own. There's no way. And we have to recognize our total dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Second thing we must do is we must repent of our sins. Luke 13 and 3 says, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God, you will perish. Now, to repent means more than just to say, I'm sorry. And most people that say, I'm sorry, are really saying, I'm sorry I got caught. Because if I hadn't got caught, I would just keep doing what I've been doing. To repent means more than just saying I'm sorry for my sin. No, no, no. It means not only am I sorry for my sin, but I'm determined to stop sinning. To repent means literally to turn around. It means to make an about face. It means to walk opposite of the way that you were walking. Listen, you you can repent the sinner's prayer every single Sunday morning, but unless there's change in your life, you're not saved. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Listen, the proof of repentance can be found in your conduct and in your actions. See, like this, someone who was walking north before Christ, but after repentance and after turning their life to Christ, they will now be found walking south. Not only must the saints recognize their helplessness and repent of their sins, they must also also rely on God's grace. In order for a sinner to become a saint, in order for you to be saved this morning, you will have to rely on God's grace. Ephesians 2 and 8, my new favorite scripture says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Listen, friend, God doesn't save us because we are good. He saves us because he is good. He doesn't save us because of what we do to earn it, but because of the price he paid to purchase it for us. Hear me this morning, in order to be saved requires us placing our faith in God's grace. I can get some help on the platform this morning. Our takeaway today is this, our sin is awful. Our Savior is awesome. Did you hear me this morning? Our sin is is awful. Oh, listen to me. Listen, friend. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none that does good. No, not one. Oh, I know we like to rate sin. You know, this is a three, and that's a nine, and that's a ten, and that's a seven. But I'm telling you that sin is a stench in the the nostrils of Almighty God. Sin is sin before God. And all of us sin, all of us sin. Don't look down your righteous, pious nose at somebody else that is in some obvious sin, because I'm telling you that all of us deal with sin and all of us have our battle against sin in our life. Everybody's sin might be different than everybody else's but we're all battling it and I'm telling you the only hope we have for salvation today, the only only hope we have is in grace, is God's grace, God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Yeah, our sin is awful. Our Savior our Savior 
is awesome. Awesome.